it's very possible that we are going to have, I think, eight or nine games of Zach Wilson, the Zach Wilson-led Jets in primetime football. And that is something that we can just not allow to happen. As a community, as a football community, as a country, we cannot allow that to happen. Obviously, when they scheduled them, they did not know that uh, Aaron Rodgers was going to be out for the rest of the season. But now, ever since they put in the flex scheduling, now let's use it. How about that? Huh? Let's let's use the flex scheduling and get the Jets out of there. Let's put them at 11 a.m. Let's have them play then, or 1 p.m., I guess, if they're on the East Coast. Just play there every single game for the rest of the season. I think they had they have like seven or eight games where they are the primetime team, either Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, or Sunday Night Football, and that we cannot allow that to happen. That is, we're asking way too much there. And uh, I understand that why they were scheduling it first, but the whole point of the flex position for these games was for that to happen because football, the way it is, uh, with how it is, and uh, teams... It's a war war of attrition with how many players are out by the end of the year, and it's basically a test of whoever is the healthiest or whoever has the best depth. Uh, Well, the Jets don't have great depth at quarterback, and now those games can definitely be flexed to another area. That would would just be great. That'd be great. I can't watch the Jets in prime time, okay? We didn't have them this week, obviously. We did have them last week, and it was a miracle finish. That feels like that win that they had in that punt return in overtime— that feels forever ago now at this point after what we saw against them and the Cowboys. Cowboys are obviously a much a better team on defense, I will say, than the Bills. I, I think I can go as far as saying that. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that feels like a long time ago now that that game happened. And now that we saw Zach Wilson take on the Cowboys, I'm very confident in saying... Let's just let's flex them out. You know, we don't need them. We don't need the Jets in prime time. I'm, I think everybody, even Jets fans, I think Jets fans are okay with having all of their games at 1 p.m. now instead of in the prime time selection area where they were expecting to see uh, Aaron Rodgers carry them to wherever they were going to go. They now have to watch Zach Wilson carry them to probably six and ten or six and eleven or whatever it is now. Uh, and you know they're going to have to live with that because it's the Jets. Um, Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Um, remember, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. I'd greatly appreciate leaving uh, ratings, likes, whatever they're called on all the different podcasting platforms, ratings, likes, five-star ratings, likes in general. Make sure to follow the show. I'd greatly appreciate that as well. Even if you're not listening on those podcasting platforms, just go over there and leave a nice little, a quick little five-star rating, and then you can uninstall the app if you're not listening to it there. That'd be, you know what, that works for me too. That'd be awesome. Uh, greatly, greatly appreciate everybody tuning in, um, and welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. We're going to start today with Deion Sanders in Colorado. He's basically the talk of football. I mean, not just college football. All football, everything football has been surrounded by Deion Sanders and what he is doing at Colorado. It should be taught in marketing classes around the world. Uh, They have made Boulder, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. I'm going to say it one more time. Boulder, Colorado, the epicenter of football these last few weeks. Uh, By the way, what a unbelievable bet that the AD for Colorado Rick George and the president for Colorado, 
Um, Tom Solomon, I think is how you say his name. If I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, I apologize if I'm saying his name incorrectly. Um, What a bet that they put on basically themselves and on Deion Sanders to try to just get Deion to Colorado. They saw what he was doing at Jackson State and they were willing to put the money down, even the money, the money they didn't even have. They, the Rick George, I think, is what who it was that came out in the press conference. And he even said he was like, we don't have the money to pay this contract. We're about to give Dion. But we believe in Dion so much that we're going to make all the money back and then be able to pay him at the end of the contract. And that's basically what they're doing. And it's a bet that is absolutely paying off. They are selling. It was the hottest. To, a, 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 I cannot stress this enough. A Colorado Buffaloes football ticket to watch them play Colorado State. Two teams that have been basically, you know, the tiniest of tiniest blips on the college football radar. I don't think a lot of people even knew Colorado football. I mean, a lot of people knew they had a football program, but they were non-existent in terms of public media. Nobody really cared about. I mean, that rivalry was non-existent up until uh, up until this past weekend, really, uh, in terms of the national conversation. And all it took was one Jay Norvell just giving billboard material for no reason, really absolutely no reason creating animosity and then billboard material for no reason. Uh, and then, you know, Colorado state having 17 penalties for 182 yards on top of it, injuring Colorado's arguably best player in first few plays of the game, uh, to create the animosity and create a genuine rivalry game that will, that was fun to watch. Um, and all of that leads to Colorado having the hottest ticket on the market this weekend, beating out professional football games in terms of the hottest ticket, in terms of how much, how expensive it was. The Colorado football team in that game against Colorado State had the highest price football ticket to go to that game against Colorado State. And the game turned out to be good. I think they were 23 and a half or 24 and a half point favorites or something like that. Uh, uh, Colorado was. So nobody really expected that to be a good game regardless. But you had. I like the list of celebrities that went to the game. The rock was there. Lil Wayne was there. Lil Wayne performed a, was basically a walkout performer. Like it was boxing for Colorado. They had offset there. They had key Glock, master P Chauncey Billups, Kyle Lowry. They had Kawhi Leonard there. Kawhi Leonard doesn't even show up to his own games. He barely shows up to Clippers games and they got him going to Colorado games. It's unbelievable. What, what Deion Sanders has done and all he's really done I mean, and it's it's a it's a tactic that a lot of coaches can use to create a similar situation, but nobody can do it like Prime. You know, nobody can do it like Coach Dion. I will say, the I think the story around Colorado becomes more interesting when they end up losing because I don't think they're going to go undefeated. I don't think this is necessarily a very good team. Um, I think they're probably going to finish the season. Somewhere around eight and four, you know, uh, the, the Pac-12 is better this year than it has been in years past. I mean, Washington's really good. USC, Oregon are always good, but uh, Oregon State seems to be pretty good this year. Washington State is surprising some people this year. Um, so I think it's very possible that Colorado loses four or five games or something like that this year, just running into good teams like those listed. Um, and even if that's the case, I mean, this has been a resounding success for Colorado and the University of Colorado. They're going to pay back that contract. And then some because of the amount of tickets, one that they're selling uh, to these football games and the prices that they're selling them at at these football games, as well as all the jersey sales and everything that they get a piece of. Like they're going to sell they're going to they're going to make that contract back and be able to give all the money that Dion wants. And not to mention. When Dion inevitably leaves, because I don't think he's going to stay in Colorado for 
you know, longer than two or three years. Uh, once Shadur Sanders leaves, I think Dion might look for greener pastures, whether that be a better college football program, you know, uh, like a Florida state, his alma mater, something like that, or even the NFL that's, you know, I don't even think he would want to do the NFL because you know, the NFL is a lot more, um, professional literally uh in both in the in the in the in the sense of financials as well as on the field off the field type of stuff it's a lot more of a professional environment whereas college right now it's a wild wild west i mean you could basically do whatever you want in terms of you're basically just paying players to come and play at colorado uh, the university of colorado and doing you know however you want to do it in order to bring those players here and there's no problem with that there's no salary cap or anything you can do it because it's the wild wild west and i think uh deon sanders him being the person that he was on the field as well as, you know, just throughout his career as a, not a, I don't want to say boastful because it usually has a negative connotation towards it, but a, uh, you know, a proud person in the personality that he has, you know, he was always flashing. He had, he had the swag, the, the, the bling, you know, all that sort of stuff, the chains, you know, he was that, he was that guy. Um, and it's a lot easier to flash that sort of stuff around, um, especially in college because, there's going to be a lot of people that are interested in that sort of lifestyle, especially in college, because, you know, college kids, they think they're on top of the world. You know, every college kid comes into college football thinking they're the best player in their prospective recruiting class or whatever. Uh, and, you know, Deion Sanders can feed off of that. You know, he can create the best out of a lot of those players. So, um, you know, I just think whatever what he's doing at Colorado is, you know, it's something that needs to be taught in mar i mean and the other thing is too you can teach it in marketing classes but it's all it's going to be nearly impossible to replicate because you're going to have teams try to replicate this sort of thing you're going to see go see play you know uh teams go and try to get somebody like mike lervin or you know a steve smith or something like that people that have these very uh popular personalities that are very um high energy and they you know love to talk that is what Deion Sanders is that's always what he has been um and I think I do think that this entire experiment you know it's not just the fact that he is that big person I think there is a, a, a like a, a decent a decent amount of him that is good at coaching he's good at what he does he also knows the game as well as anybody that's ever played the game especially at that position that uh, that he played it at cornerback he's probably the greatest cornerback of all time um but he knows i mean he knows a lot of football obviously given what we've seen from him just coaching and obviously playing as well and he's getting the most out of the players that we've seen him have so far and it's just, this is just the beginning this is the first year he basically got this entire team through the transfer portal, he hasn't done any recruiting yet or anything like that. And we'll see how much he really dives into recruiting because that's another thing that college football head coaches, whenever they come in from, you know, other places, whether it be high school or, or professional, they come down to college football. The other thing, one of the things that they don't uh, anticipate is how difficult the recruiting work is because you're basically doing it year round. And, you know, there's no reason to believe that he's going to be bad at that. But that is something that takes adjustment for a lot of these uh a lot of these a lot of these players and you know again there's no reason to believe he's going to be bad at that he did it at jackson state again he got the highest rated recruit in travis hunter to go to jackson state and then come to colorado so there's no reason to believe he's going to be bad at it or anything like that but now he's going to have recruiting battles with the uscs the oregons you know the other guys in the pac-12 um so it that'll become probably a little bit more difficult they're going to be shooting for the bigger guys that have more options obviously uh, at the top of their class in recruiting. But again, I think this experiment becomes more interesting overall. Um, and experiment is probably the bad word right now because clearly it's worked. I mean, it's an experiment that's in the the post-experiment write-up, essentially. You're talking about how much of a success it's been so far. Um, and I think this experiment does become 
more interesting to me, um, even though these first two weeks for three weeks have been very interesting um, with everything that he has essentially created around that program and what it's turned into um, with, I mean, we had all the, the sports show, the college game day was there. Big new kickoff was there. Pat McAfee was in Boulder this past weekend. They were all there. First take was in Boulder this weekend. Um, and I think this, this experiment really becomes interesting to me is when they start losing because winning's easy. I mean, winning not the act of not the act itself of winning is easy, but the afterwards of winning is easy. You know, everybody's celebrating. Everybody's in a good mood. There's nothing that's very difficult about winning, but losing. That's when you really, you know, figure out who was who around that locker room, what the personalities turn into after losses. Like that's an interesting conversation to have and what it's going to look like is going to be very interesting. And also how a lot of these big shows are going to cover that sort of situation with Deion Sanders and that entire team when they start to lose games. If they go eight and four on the season and we look back on this as a purely a college football team, are we going to say, yeah, that was maybe a little overkill with the excitement. And I, I don't, I don't want to be the person that's saying that. I think what he's doing at Colorado is all good things. I don't think there's been a single negative connotation that should be thrown towards Dion's way because he's only making, he's making the university of Colorado matter in a way they haven't mattered in 25 years when they won the national championship. And I, I'd argue they, they matter more now than when they won the national championship 25 years ago. Uh, they've never had this sort of media, uh, media attention around them. They've never had this sort of fan attention around them ever. N- and not even when they won the national championship. No, I think Dion has done more for that school than what that school, what, what happened to that school when they won a national championship, to be honest with you, because you know, ever since then they've been pretty much terrible. So it's interesting. Um, I, I, and again, I think the, the last check Mark of the box, it will be to see how everybody's feeling after Dion and Colorado eventually lose because they're going to lose. I mean, that's just how college football works. works. Nobody goes undefeated for, you know, three straight seasons or whatever, however long he's there. So I'm going to, I'm very interested to see the reaction around the university of Colorado and Dion in general, general when they end up losing a football game. Um, and it, it almost happened this week. And then that's the thing is, you know, they're 24 and a half point favorites against a Colorado state team that frankly has also had a lot of the same issues as Colorado, where they really have not mattered um, for a long time. And I would argue, you know, Colorado state's in a worse situation than, uh, than Colorado is obviously. Um, and lo and behold, Colorado state comes in, they play, uh, uh, probably their best game of the season so far. And uh, they end up losing the game, but it's a game that they should have probably won. CSU led for most of that game. And it took a 45 yard TD with 36 seconds left in the fourth quarter and a successful two point conversion to even get Colorado into overtime. So that's the, uh, I mean, it's Colorado's going to get to a point where they're going to lose a game. And that's when the story to me becomes more interesting. That's the next step in my opinion, because like I said, winning, that's the easiest part. The easiest part of basically all these sports. Everybody, everybody looks great when they're winning. Everybody's happier when they're winning. Winning solves everything, right? That's the famous, the famous phrase for uh, sports. Now, when it comes to losing, I'm curious to see the reactions around that and how that locker room handles 
uh, losing in that environment, you know, and I, I believe that Dion's going to be able to help them. You know, they've Dion suffered losses before. It's not like it's going to be his first time losing either. I'm just curious to see how it works around the media as well as around that locker room. And, you know, if they end up playing in a, a bowl game, that doesn't matter. You know, some, the, the Duke's Mayo bowl, that'd be a huge get for the Duke's Mayo bowl, by the way. Um, but if they end up playing in the Dukes Mayo Bowl, how much one, how many players actually end up playing in it? Because I don't know how much Dion really uh, cares about the bowl games, to be honest with you, because I think he's also part of this new area of thinking where this is really something that doesn't really matter other than it makes a lot of money for the school. But that's about it. Um, and just where they are at the end of the season in terms of wins, losses and, you know, how it looks for them towards the end of the season. And again, like I said, this is a success for them already. They're three games in. That was the it was the highest ranked college football game in terms of ratings. How many people were watching it of the weekend by a pretty substantial margin? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was one of the highest rated games in terms of people watching it of any football game throughout the entire weekend. So, and again, it was a 10 p.m. start Eastern time. I mean, it was a late game, and it was the highest rated game of all the games throughout the throughout uh, college football Saturday. So. It's already a success. Colorado is going to make the money to pay him the contract and they're going to make more money and then some off of what they did just by hiring Dion and are three games into the game into the season. It's incredible. I think it's great for college football for one. Uh, and it's just uh, it's been fun to watch so far. And I'm excited to see the rest of the season uh, of Dion at the University of Colorado. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agent. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7200. Three. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, let's move on to the rest of college football Saturday. This past weekend, week three in college football, it uh, is going to be renamed. We're going to give it a nickname. Week three in the college football season of 2023 is now going to be known as Sleepwalking Saturday. There were a lot of really good teams, uh, at least on paper, that were just sleep rock, sleepwalking through uh, through the game. That was all they were doing. Florida State, they basically slept their sleepwalked their way through a win. Uh, They probably shouldn't have won that game either, but Boston College was repeatedly shooting themselves in the foot, and I think they finished with 19 penalties or something like that, just something disgusting like that. 18 penalties. It was 18 penalties for 131 yards, just a a vile amount of penalties that ended up pretty much costing them the game, Uh, and um, it was a game that they probably should have won. They outgained Florida State. Uh, Their penalty yardage, by the way, ended up costing them negative 9.96 
expected points added. That's uh, one of the, it almost negates all, uh, nearly all of their offensive EPA. Their offensive EPA was 13.36 higher than Florida State's. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just a, that was, it, it, Florida State slept, sleepwalked their way to a victory. It'll be interesting to see what they do this upcoming week in Florida State against Clemson because Clemson's another team that yeah, I've talked about it already. That team is not very good. Uh, their defense is pretty good. I mean, I think their defense is going to be year in, year out pretty good as long as Dabo's there and the way he recruits uh, defensive players, but their offense isn't very good, and it'll be interesting to see if they can slow down and kind of get Florida State into that slog that Clemson likes to play, at least for this year, um, where they're just playing, you know, grinded out type of football, and uh, I mean, we'll see. That's a tough matchup for Florida State now. I didn't think that, you know, asked me two weeks ago, and I would have thought Florida State was going to blow out Clemson, um, but here we are. Now it's like if Florida State goes into that Clemson game, playing like that then that's a game that uh, they can very very easily lose georgia is another team that sleepwalked their way to a victory i think georgia is probably going to it feels like they're just going to sleepwalk their way all the way into the playoff they could probably win or lose a game maybe even two if they win the sec and still find their way in the playoff and i still wouldn't be surprised to see them win uh the college football playoff to be honest with you because they're that talented just across the board quarterback is obviously a little bit of a question mark because they're working somebody in new it's not Stetson Bennett anymore, even though Stetson Bennett is, you know, he, he was approaching the age of 32 when he left college. That was a joke. Not really, but it kind of felt like it, you know, not really, but kind of felt like he was 32 years old. Um, but again, I, I, it's another team that just feels like uh, they can sleepwalk their way into uh, into the playoff uh, because I'm I have that much faith in Georgia and how well they've recruited for one, as well as Kirby Smart, Kirby Smart and how good that defense is. Um, and again, South Carolina, it's not like they played very good either. Uh, and for the most part, Georgia pretty much outplayed them on every analytical uh, on every analytical foundation, especially after the second half or after the after the at the after the end of the first half. Um, and that's when Georgia started pulling away a little bit as much as they could pull away in a 24 to 14 ball game. But uh, yeah, it, it's interesting to see Georgia like this is probably the least dominant Georgia team we've seen in the last two, three years. Um, they're looking to three-peat in the national championship. So, you know, it, finally, at this point. Um, so, we'll see. It's interesting for Georgia. I think they are, they're going to have a couple of games where they might trip up. One or maybe two. Uh, they go to UA or they're at home against UAB. That's going to be a win. Then they're at Auburn. That's probably a win. Auburn's offense is nowhere to be found. Kentucky, that's another team that likes to just stick you in the mud and then play their type of game. Uh, coached by... Mike Stoops, is it Mike Stoops or Mark Stoops? It's one of the Stoops brothers. I think it's Mark Stoops uh, that coaches at Kentucky, and that's another team. If you play their way, you're going to lose the game. That's how Kentucky plays football. Uh, that game is on the road for Georgia. Then they're away at Vanderbilt. That's probably a win. Florida, man. How about, yeah, I, I threw Florida away. I threw Florida away after that Utah game. They lose to the backup quarterback of Utah, a couple backup quarterbacks of Utah on the road, and I was like, okay, this is it. I mean, the season, I didn't want to say the season was over, but it felt like it was, I mean, it's as bad of a start as you could have possibly imagined. And here they are. They knock off Tennessee in the swamp. That's a, a very solid win for them. A very good bounce back win for them with that team. Uh, Tennessee who knocked off Alabama last year, obviously brand new team this year. They're not, they don't have Hendon hooker anymore. They don't have Jalen Hyatt this year. Um, so it looks a little bit different. I think Tennessee's probably a little overrated. Um, at least at the start of the year. And uh, now Florida knocks them off. That was a good win. I didn't think Florida was going to win that game, even though Tennessee might be a tad bit overrated. Um, but here they are. They knock off. Uh, they knock off Tennessee. So this might that might be a tough ball game. That's a big rivalry. Uh, that the game against uh, Florida between Georgia and Florida. That's a neutral site rivalry game. That's always uh, always 
a fun game to watch. Then uh, Georgia is at home against Missouri. Missouri just knocked off Kansas State. That might not be a terrible team either. Mississippi is a good team. That might be a tough game for them as well. Uh, coached by Lean Kiffin, they're always going to have a pretty high productive offense. And then they're away at Tennessee. That's always a tough road trip to play at Tennessee. And Tennessee could have figured things out by could figure things out by November. And then they're on the road at Georgia Tech. So a couple games in there where if they're caught sleepwalking again, trying to sleepwalk their way into a college football playoff, they could slip up and lose uh, one of those games, possibly two of those games, and then find their way, uh, find themselves struggling to get into the SEC championship game. Um, but then again, SEC, like the SEC East is kind of a joke, to be honest with you. So, I mean, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the mo- it's not the strongest division uh, in terms of conference play. So, It'll be interesting. I just think uh, Georgia could be caught. They could be caught out, uh, caught with the, what's the boxing term? Caught with their chin not protected or something like that. Whatever. You you guys get what I'm saying. They could be just, could be caught with a right hook somewhere. uh, And then they're down. And then they're down. Texas is another one. Can I say really quick? uh, So Texas, they played, I would say bad for about three quarters of football. Um, and then, you know, fourth quarter came around. They were neck and neck with Wyoming, with by, which, by the way, Wyoming, resilient football team. That's a resilient football team. I appreciate how well Wyoming went down to Austin. That's a tough road game. I mean, Austin's one of the hardest places to go and play at, especially in the middle of September, uh, where it's it's hot as hell. I mean, it was, it was a late, it was an evening game, so it wasn't that hot, but, I mean, it's still hot down there in Austin, Texas, no matter what time it is. Uh, especially in September. So it's probably hot down there. It probably was not a great road trip. That's a very difficult environment to play in. And uh, Texas, they sleepwalked through three quarters, essentially, and nearly uh, nearly lost themselves a football game as well. But then, you know, Texas, with all the athletes that they have on their team as well, uh, one of the best receiving cores in all of college football, uh, finally turned it on. Quinn Ewers finally turned it on, and they were able to pull away. But again, not a game that... Uh, Anybody was really expecting. I think Texas came into this game as 31 point favorites by the time kickoff uh, happened. So, you know, I mean, that's that's a concerning game. I think if you're Texas fans uh, in general and again, Wyoming not necessarily did not necessarily play a very good game, especially on offense. I mean, for the most part, they were pretty well shut down, Um, but they were able to I mean, on the, the defense on the field, Wyoming's got a very solid defense. An underrated defense, in my opinion, through for uh, a lot of, uh, I think, like Texas comes in and watches this team like Wyoming, and I don't think they're expecting a whole lot out of a defense like them, but they got a very good defense, a defense that is very underrated uh, when it comes to the grand scheme of uh, college football, national college football. I think they could they could probably hang with a lot of the bigger teams, maybe not you know consistently with Texas, but some a lot of these bigger teams. I think they could hang with a team like Colorado. I think they could hang with a team like Washington State or Oregon State or something like that. Uh, it's just the fact that their offense really struggles, and since Andrew Peasley's been hurt, um, it even struggles even more. So. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, it's it's interesting to see. Uh, and again, the here's the thing with I, I hate this is one of my least favorite things in all of broadcasting. Um, the Longhorn Network. Why is that a thing? Please, I'm begging you, ESPN. I'm on my hands and knees right now. One, it's not something that you can just get by having the sports package. You have to pay extra to get. Uh, Longhorn Network, you have to pay, like, I have YouTube TV, and you have your base package, which has, like, a decent amount of sports on it, and then you have to pay 10 extra, 10 extra bucks for, like, Sports Plus, which has Red Zone in it, but a bunch of other, you know, uh, sports networks, I think the ACC Network, the Big Ten Network comes with Sports Plus, but that's not, guess what's not in there? The Longhorn Network. You have to pay an extra fee to go and get the Longhorn Network, and you know who's not going to buy the Longhorn Network ESPN? 
People from Wyoming who are watching one game, one game out of the season, that's the last time they're ever going to watch the Longhorn Network. It's so stupid. It is one of the dumbest things. And that's the other thing, too, is these AP voters, and I think the AP voters, for the most part, you know, I don't want to say they're right all the time, but I think for them, they're probably watching more football than a lot of us. Um, and I think these AP voters, they're like, I'm not paying for Longhorn Network to watch this Texas Wyoming game that's on there for there. They have one game on the Longhorn Network, one game a year where tech or where Texas is playing some non-conference game uh, against a, a team that they're expected to blow out. And then all of a sudden it's a close game. I'm not going to pay the the money to watch that game because why would I do that? That's the only time I'm going to watch Longhorn Network. So then the AP voters, they just say, okay, well, 31 to 10, that's a good score. They had to pull away late and uh, yeah, they'll keep their AP ranking. They're still pretty good. I think they maybe they fell one, one spot in the AP poll, if that's the case. Um, but nobody, I like, I'm willing to bet that a lot of these AP voters and most for the most part, a lot of the country didn't watch this game. Guess what? Me included, because I'm not paying for Longhorn Network because I'm not going to watch anything on Longhorn Network. I'm not going to watch anything on Longhorn Network. I'll watch, you know, the the condensed version of the game somewhere else because I'm not going to pay for the Longhorn Network to watch one football game. I'm not going to watch anything else on the Longhorn Network because I don't like Texas. I'm not a Texas fan. It's made specifically for Texas fans. It makes a lot more sense to have something like the ACC network, the Big Ten network, that sort of thing, because it's a whole network for the entire conference. Not one team. I hate it. It's one of my least favorite things that ESPN has ever done. Obviously, ESPN made the agreement with Texas because Texas has more money than God when it comes to their athletic department. They probably have the most amount of money to spend in an athletic department than any other school. Um, But the 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 Longhorn Network thing just bothers me. It just makes me angry because I'm like nobody wants to get this because they'll use it for this one game, especially in Wyoming. Like Wyomingites, the people in Laramie, they want to watch this game. They're not going to pay for Longhorn Network because it's for one game. They're not going to watch anything else that's put on Longhorn Network. It doesn't make any sense. It is one of the dumbest channel decisions ever. Of all time, I, that it's one of the dumbest channel decisions of all time because it focuses on one team and doesn't make any sense. It, it just, it blows my mind that that is a thing that ESPN decided was a good idea. They probably made a lot of money off of it, but I am curious to see like if they made their money back on it because like who's paying for Longhorn network, who is legitimately paying for Longhorn network outside of the one game a year where you have, you can, if you're a football fan where you want to watch the one game, the non-conference game that Texas is expected to blow out the team they're playing. Uh, and then you don't flip on the Longhorn Network ever again because nobody wants to watch just the Longhorn Network. You want to watch something with all the sports. It doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I don't know what else to say. Um, but yeah, this game was stuck behind the Longhorn Network, so I didn't get to watch. Uh, I didn't get to watch any of it. So thank you very much, ESPN. Thank you very much, uh, whoever, Texas. You greatly appreciate it. I'll never, I, I won't purchase your product because it doesn't make any sense as a broadcasting just thing as a broadcasting thing. It doesn't make any sense, even though you probably have the biggest fan base in college football or in college sports in general, nobody else outside of that fan base is ever going to purchase the Longhorn network or secondly, going to watch anything on the long Longhorn network because there's nothing there that they want to watch. It just doesn't make any sense. Anyways, uh, Texas, they uh, sleepwalked to a victory there. Uh, they came back uh, in the fourth quarter, dominated the fourth quarter, uh, and that was all they really needed to pull away in that game. I think if Andrew Peasley plays in this game for Wyoming, by the way, I think they have a better chance. I mean, this isn't a hot take or anything, but 
I will say if Andrew Peasley plays in this game, they probably the Cowboys probably take like they might even take a lead. And that's when Texas probably wakes up and still wins by a couple touchdowns. But still, I mean, this game, the offensively, the one Wyoming, really, I mean, they did nothing. They did nothing really all game. So, you know, what, what do you expect? I mean, uh, Harrison Whaley, I mean, he did have 18 carries, 110 yards and a touchdown. But outside of the run game for the Cowboys, which has been uh, their bread and butter for basically since Craig Bull took over. Um, there was not a lot of offense, uh, offensive output there. So, you know, I, I think it went better than expected for Cowboy fans for three quarters and fourth quarter kind of just blew it all the way open. Uh, but, you know, after the fourth quarter, then it, it kind of just got out of hand. So, yeah, I, I still think it's something for the Cowboys, especially with backup quarterback, it's something Cowboys fans to be optimistic about. I will say that. I think there is there's a, a good team here. It's just they've had a tough non-conference schedule. Um, they had an upset with uh, with Texas Tech already. They played Texas very well. Appalachian State's going to be an interesting game as well. I'm just, I'm curious to see how that game goes. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see that team to be see Wyoming single digit uh, underdogs in that game, or possibly even favorites. It'll be interesting to see. All right, moving on with the next Sleepwalker, Alabama, dude. I have no idea what to, what to do with Alabama. Alabama is. Interesting. This is probably the worst Alabama team through three weeks. Obviously, everything can change very quickly, especially in college football. Um, but I'm not confident in this Alabama team to beat anybody. I still think their defense is pretty good. Um, they haven't played. I mean, it's hard to say their defense is pretty good after watching them play against uh, USF because USF is not a very good team either. But I do think their defense is good enough that it'll win them a couple of games. Um, but their quarterback situation if they don't figure that out if they don't find uh somebody to roll with that's going to win them games like they could win four to five games this season and i would not be surprised which would be mind-blowing to me like i don't i don't remember the last time alabama had a bad football team like and, and that's you know bad is all about perspective obviously um but in terms of alabama it's like you have to go 10 and 3 to be average like an average alabama football team this like the last time Alabama lost anything more than two games, this is a wild stat. This is a wild stat. The last time Alabama lost more than two games in a season, and this is all the way to the end of the season, so bowl games included, uh, the last time they lost more than two games in a single season was 2010. That's insane. Since then, 2011 and onward till 2022, it's been one loss, one loss, two losses, two losses, one loss, one loss, one loss, one loss, two losses, undefeated, two losses, two losses. And they have one loss here already. And this could be like the last time they were bad, quote unquote bad, is seven and six in 2007. That was the last time they had a bad football team. Uh, and again, bad is relative. I think seven and six is probably bad uh, for relative terms for Alabama football. Uh, like if they go seven and six this year, like I would, I would bet I'm not joking about this. If they go seven and six this year, and I don't think they're going to go seven and six, but if they do go seven and six, we might see like fans calling for Nick Saban to retire. Like I'm not joking. Like we're already seeing that already. Um, but seven and six is a complete disaster. They play Ole Miss at home this week. That's a tough game. That's a game that could very easily lose because Ole Miss is going to be able to put up points, I think. Uh, and if Alabama can't run with them, that's a game that Ole Miss could win. Mississippi State should be a win at Texas A&M. Honestly, that should be a win. Uh, Arkansas, that could be a tough game as well. Tennessee at home, that might be a tough game, but it's a revenge game, and a lot of those guys might be looking to, I mean, they might play their best football 
in that game against Tennessee at home. Then they got LSU. I think LSU wins that game. They're just a better team top to bottom, especially offensively at Kentucky. Another game that's like a little iffy because again, at Kentucky too, Mark Stoops, they'll just put your, you put your face in the mud and have you win, have you play the game their way. That's what they do. And then they play Chattanooga and then Auburn. So Chattanooga, Auburn, those are probably wins. Um, But there, I mean, there are four or five losses there that I could, I would not be surprised to see Tennessee. I can see them losing that game. LSU, I can see them losing that game. Kentucky, I can see them losing that game. Ole Miss, I can see them losing that game. That's five extra losses. If all, if they all go that way, if they all lose those games, that's five extra losses. That's a bad season. That's six losses. So that's seven and six. People are calling that. That would be calling for Nick Saban's uh, Nick Saban's retirement. If that's the case. Um, now, I don't think they're going to actually lose all those games. I think they probably win that Tennessee game. Um, they probably win that Kentucky game uh, and, you know, might might win that uh, LSU game as well. But I think that that's the one I'm least confident about, obviously. Um, so Ole Miss, I think will be a loss. LSU, I think will be a loss. And then they'll beat um, Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, but it'll be interesting. Like if they lose three out of those four games I just mentioned, that's a, what is that? Eight and four season. Like that's a, I would say a bad football season for, uh, for Alabama football. And uh, it's interesting that it comes after we get like NIL and stuff like that. And now, you know, the tables have kind of turned and I'm not saying I'm not making any accusations. Okay. May or may not have, you know, been paying players under the table this entire time. Alabama has been may or may not been may or may not. I don't know. I don't know anybody. I don't know anything, but I mean the, the, you know, the rest of the world kind of knows, you know, it's like, yeah, of course this has been happening. We're not idiots. And now that it's all out in the open, anybody can go by. We, we just saw like a five-star recruit commit to Texas tech a couple of weeks ago, Texas tech, like, it's here, like the, the equality that we've all been wanting for college football, the equity that we've all wanted for college football is finally, it looks like it's approaching. And now teams, even though, you know, some of the, the constants that we see in college football are still going to be there, you know, your Ohio States are still going to be there. Your Michigans are still going to be there. Your Georgias are still going to be there. I think we're going to see more disparity with a lot of these teams with the transfer portal and NIL, like have off years where they just have bad seasons because one, they didn't, or they weren't able to recruit a quarterback that's good enough to play on the uh, play for Alabama or what have you uh, and sticks around long enough to really grow into Alabama's office. So he goes and leaves or something like that. You know, you really need to hit on the transfer portal as well uh, as recruiting uh, now more than ever, because now it's as even of a playing field as we're ever going to see in college football. So um, it's interesting that it's happening now. Now, granted, I'm saying this, there were three games into the season and by the end of the year, they could be 11 and one. And I'm like, of course it's Alabama. Like, duh, they're going to be 11 and one. Of course, they're going to figure it out. That's what they do. They've had early season losses before. And we're like, is this it? Is Alabama, is Alabama falling apart? And you know, then they come back and win. they burn off nine straight and we're like, of course they're in the SEC championship. Duh, it's Alabama. So that's entirely possible as well. I'm not counting out Nick Saban by any means because he's the greatest, uh, the, the greatest head coach that sport has ever seen. Um, all right, moving on. That was our, uh, sleepwalking Saturday. That's that who was sleep. That, that is who was sleepwalking this past weekend, uh, in their games, Florida state, Georgia, Texas, Alabama, couple of top, I mean, all of them top 10 teams in, in the, uh, in college football and uh, all of them slept, walked, sleepwalked. I can't say that word sleepwalked to victory. Uh, a quick stat of the day for you, college football wise. This is one of my favorite stats that I've read all season long. Stat of the day, university of Virginia and Colorado state. They both have kickers on their team, obviously, because it's football. The university of Virginia has a 34. That's right. Not 24. 34 year old kicker and Colorado state has a kicker who is 31 years old, 
married and has three kids. Dude, I love college football, dude. College football. Like, can you imagine that University of Virginia kick? I don't have their names. 34-year-old coming out of the locker room. Like, this guy, he, he's hanging out with a bunch of, like, 18, 19-year-olds. He's fi- almost 15 years older than a lot of these kids. And they're just hanging out in the locker room. You know, has no idea what's going on because he's not young anymore. He's pretty old at this point, 34 years old. Like, that's relatively old in terms of everything else that's going on around in that locker room. Like, what is that? What are the conversations that are going on there? Like, do they just see him as a coach at this point, essentially, because he's 34 years old? Like, you can't have him coming to, like, the parties or whatever or, like, the you know, the, the fresh, the, whatever the senior team get togethers, because the, you know, even the seniors on your team, it's like they're 24, 25 years old. And this guy is still 10 years older than your, your oldest senior. So, you know, weird situation. I'm curious to see what happens. And then the other guy, Colorado state kicker, he's got three kids. Like they have three kids running around the locker room and he's married. He's got a wife as well. That's got to be a weird conversation to be having. Like that's got to be a weird situation that you go into that locker room. You see this kicker, 31 years old. Last time he took the SATs or felt like he took a test of any kind was 10 years ago. Actually, more than that, 13 years ago when he was in high school, he took the ACTs, he passed, then he went into the military, came back, and he was like, I want to go to college and I'm going to play football. And now I have to go to, oh, I got to go math 101 at 11 o'clock. Dang it, I'm late. I'm also 31 and I have kids and I'm married. Like if you're going into class and you're this guy, you're the kicker for Colorado State. Do you think your teachers are going to believe that you had to drive your kids to school and your wife to school? Like they had to, they had to tag along with you or something like that. Like, are they going to believe that? Do you think your professors are going to need, I have three kids professor. Okay. I'm 31, which granted, you know, college is, college is for everybody. Okay. It's just funny for me, college football team, like in that locker room, I can't imagine what that locker room must be like. Like they have to make fun of them for the age, right? Like that's so funny. 34 year old and a 31 year old married with three kids, uh, both playing college football in, uh, in, in college football today. I love it, dude. I love college football. (laughs) Uh, all right. You know what time it is. You know why we're here. That was our stat of the day. It's time for my new favorite, uh, my new favorite segment. You guys know what it is. If you've been listening to the show for the last three weeks, then you know what this segment is. It is time for the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. That is right. We are back. Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it is good to be back. There was some garbage this weekend. Alabama, Alabama had a chance to be this team. That was in this section for poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. They were one of the finalists. It was a bad game. I mean, Alabama, uh, USF, that was a disgusting game. That was not good. There was a weather delay as well. It was not a good game. It was gross. Uh, you were waiting in the weather delay. Maybe Alabama was going to come out and they were going to be a brand new team. Their offenses were going to be clicking on all cylinders. You know, they're going to blow out USF. That didn't happen. It was a bunch of garbage thrown onto the field and it was no good. But it's not my poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. Uh, there were a couple others as well that were in the running. Uh, Ohio versus Iowa State was disgusting as well. Uh, 10 to seven was the final score in that game. I believe Iowa, or excuse me, I believe Ohio won that game. Uh, just a disgusting game, 10 to seven. Anytime you see that in college football, it just makes you kind of want to throw up a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was gross, but my pick this week for the poo poo garbage, no good game of the week Pitt at West Virginia. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, the backyard brawl. It gave us one of the best games of the entire season last year to start the year. It was week one. Uh, Pete, uh, Pitt beat West Virginia 38-31. to 31. It was a fantastic game. It was a ton of fun to watch. But this year, it was not. It was not a fun game to watch this year. It was, a, it was a poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week type of game this year. It was a final score. West Virginia won at this time, and it was a final score of 17 
to six. Uh, West Virginia wins it this time. And after last year's game where we had JT Daniels, Kadon Slovis slinging the ball around. Slovis finished 16 for 24, 308 uh, yards last year. Touchdown. He had an average yard per average yards per attempt of 12.8. And then JT Daniels, not as good. 23 for 40, uh, 214 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Not as efficient, not as good overall as Kadon Slovis in that game. But this year, it was a real dandy, ladies and gentlemen. It was a real doozy. Uh, both teams, in terms of passing yardage, finished under 100 yards. They combined for 141 yards. 141 combined, 141 passing yards. Pitt finished with a negative 28.35 offensive EPA, and West Virginia finished with a negative 14.69 offensive EPA. There were zero explosive plays. Both teams only averaged a little over seven plays per drive, and Pitt averaged 28 yards per drive. West Virginia averaged uh, finished with uh, 32 yards per drive on average, and they both combined for seven turnovers. It was disgusting. It was vile. It was really gross. It was not a good game. It was the poo-poo garbage. No good game of the week. If you got time, I implore you to go and check it out. Go watch it for yourself. It's really gross. I mean, it's something you could fall asleep to, but I'm begging you to go check it out because these are the games that make college football great. You know, just two teams, a, a, a classic rivalry, a historic rivalry. These teams do not like each other. Last year gave us one of the great games of the entire season in week one. And this year it gives us just a, a big old play to dump a big old play to dumpies. And that's what it was. And um, it was fun to watch. It was great. It was great. It was, it was stinky. It was gross. And uh, here we are. And that was our uh, poo poo garbage game of the week. The actual good game of the week this week. Um, we won't talk about it much, uh, all that much longer uh, because it was Colorado, Colorado State. How could you not pick that game? Uh, one of the funnest games probably that's going to be of the season. Uh, great rivalry game that was fun to watch. They actually ended up disliking each other. Obviously, Travis Hunter gets hurt on a dirty play and Colorado State just kind of plays dirty for the rest of the game. Both teams kind of taking their shots at one another and it ends up being one of the funner games of this season. Colorado ends up winning 43 to 35 and double overtime. It was a blast. It was a fun game to watch. Uh, as for this week, we're going to make our predictions. I made bad predictions last week, ladies and gentlemen. I had uh, the poo poo garbage game of the week. What was it? FIU against uh, Connecticut. That game, I mean, it wasn't great, but it turned out to be a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. Connecticut was driving, but FIU stopped them on a fourth down play in the fourth quarter to seal the victory. It was a final of 24 to 17, so a better game than I thought. Keon Jenkins, the quarterback for Florida International, FIU, 15 for 27, 284 yards, two touchdowns. He had a pretty good game. UConn, on the other hand, did not have a good game. They were pretty bad, uh, basically in all phases, but FIU saved it from being the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. And it was a close game. Uh, it was, at the very least, somewhat entertaining to watch. They needed a fourth down stop to... Uh, to seal the victory, like I said, over UConn. So, so somewhat an entertaining game. Uh, you know, wasn't a good pick for Poo Poo Garbage. No good game of the week. Turned out to be a little bit better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to look something like Pitt versus West Virginia. And it turned out that Pitt, West Virginia was not going to be stopped at being the Poo Poo Garbage. No good game of the week. Uh, as for what was the my actual good game? Oh, it was... Uh, Oh, man, this was a bad pick. Uh, Mississippi State versus LSU. I was wrong. Uh, I thought I thought Mississippi State was, at the very least, going to be a little bit more competitive in this game. That would that didn't happen. Uh, LSU rolls Mississippi State 41-14. This game was over pretty quickly, uh, and I thought that game was just going to be closer. I did, I did mention, I will say, I will look at myself a little tiny bit of props. I did say Missouri versus Kansas State. I thought that was going to be a pretty intriguing game. Uh, a rivalry renewed, two Big 12 
former Big 12 foes facing off against one another. And uh, it turned out it was a good game. Missouri, Missouri wins on a game-winning field goal and uh, knocks off 15th-ranked Kansas State. So that was a cool game. I mentioned it. I should have picked it as my actual good game of the week, but I didn't. Um, but this week, we move on to a new week. So this week, uh, there's a lot of good games on the schedule this week. There is a lot of good college football on the schedule this week for, but we're going to start with poo poo garbage. Of course, like we always do. Why, why would we start anywhere else? Uh, we're going to start with our poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. And honestly, there aren't a whole lot of games to choose from this week. There's a lot of good college football going on this week. Uh, but there are a couple that I have set my sights upon. Uh, one of them being Minnesota versus Northwestern, uh, Minnesota, not great at passing the ball. They're a good rushing team. Northwestern kind of the same deal. Uh, bad and you know a lot of different stuff going on at Northwestern. Uh, bad at passing the football, pretty decent at rushing the football. Minnesota is a good team against the pass though, and Northwestern is not a good team against the pass. That's not my pick though. There's a couple other ones that I've been keeping an eye on. Again, we can go Iowa State again. They were they were a, a favor uh, a a pick a favorite to be one of the top three picks to be the boo boo garbage no good game of the week last week, but didn't go with them. They had a bad game against uh, Ohio. It was truly a dreadful game as well. Oklahoma State, they're playing Oklahoma State, so it's Oklahoma State versus Iowa State. That's a an interesting game for poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week because uh, Oklahoma State just lost 33-7 to to South Alabama. Not Alabama. Not Alabama. Not Auburn. South Alabama. South Alabama. They lost 33-7. to One of the worst losses I can remember for uh, Oklahoma State in a long time. Uh, so that's up there for a possible pick as well. But my number one, the one that I am going with as the poo poo garbage, no good game of the week, a game that I don't think is going to be very fun to watch, but we sit there and watch it anyways, because it is college football Saturday. And we love just the fact that it's college football and it's Saturday. That's what we do. My poo poo garbage, no good game of the week. This week is Nebraska versus Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Tech going on the road, taking on Nebraska. Both these teams, not great. Uh, they can't do really anything good offensively. Louisiana Tech has a total EPA so far this year through the year of negative 11.91. That's 107th in the country. And Nebraska through the air has a total EPA of negative 9.71. And that is number 101 in the country. Two really bad teams through the air. Louisiana Tech isn't very good on the ground either. Nebraska is a little bit better on the ground. Uh, good thing is Louisiana Tech, they can play good defense against the pass. They're bad against the run, though. And it's uh, kind of a similar. Well, actually, that's not true. Nebraska is a better team, uh, a good team against the pass and also a better team against the run. So this is a, this is a game that Nebraska should win. Um, I would hope that they win. If they don't win, um, there's some, um, again, more problems for Nebraska going on. But I think this is going to be a, a bad game. I think this is going to be a garbage game. Not fun to watch, but we watch it anyways because it's Saturday and uh, we're all excited. We're all excited because it's Saturday. It's the weekend. We're just watch whatever because the in, the endorphins are flowing and we're all just happy people at that point. Um, my pick for actual good game of the week. There's a lot of good games, a lot of good college football games this weekend uh, across the country. Nebraska or Nebraska, not Nebraska. What? Uh, I believe Florida state, like I said, Florida state taking on Clemson, Colorado taking on Oregon. That's a good game. UCLA versus, uh, Utah is a fun game. Uh, Ole Miss, Alabama. That's a fun game. And then, uh, there's another one that I'm missing here. Oh, Oregon state versus Washington state. All really good games that are going to be fun to watch, but I think the best game of the week, and I think this is probably going to be a pretty unanimous pick for a lot of other people as well. Ohio state at, Notre Dame, uh, both these teams really haven't had to get their feet wet yet. This is their, this is their first, both of their first really big games of the season. I would say Notre Dame, 
Uh, they went overseas, played Navy in Ireland, but that was an easy game for Notre Dame. Then they beat Tennessee State, handled them easily. NC State, they beat pretty easily in Central Michigan. Those have been the four teams that Notre Dame has played. And then Ohio State, they've only played three games so far this year. This will be their fourth. Uh, they played Indiana to start the season. That was a relatively easy victory for them. And then Youngstown State and then Western Kentucky, who they blow out. So uh, this is a pretty good uh pretty good first matchup for both of these teams to kind of figure out where they actually are uh, in terms of the rankings, you know, the standings or whatever for the rest of the teams, how they're playing against another top 10 school. So I think this is a very, very fun game. Uh, that's my actual pick. My, my pick for actual good game of the week, Notre Dame at Iowa, Ohio state. Is it at Ohio? Uh, no, excuse me. Ohio state at Notre Dame, excuse me, Ohio state at Notre Dame. It's at five 30. It's on NBC. It's going to be a fun game. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, actual good game. And then we're going to watch some garbage. Louisiana. Actually, I think that game's first. Louisiana Tech at Nebraska. That game, I believe, is first. And then we'll watch garbage, get our palate, you know, get our palate nice and gross. And then we'll cleanse it with Ohio State versus Notre Dame. A good game. An actual good game. Hopefully, an actual good game this week. So Ohio State, Notre Dame. And, of course, can't miss out. Louisiana Tech at Nebraska. Those are your uh, good, uh, your poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week, and your actual good game of the week. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that like, likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk some NFL now. Uh, I, I went over a lot on college football, but that's okay. Uh, college football is great. So we're going to move on to the NFL now. Uh, I got a second stat of the day for you. Second stat of the day, and you've probably seen this one. Uh, it's been making the rounds on a lot of uh, social media apps. Second stat of the day, Justin Jefferson. This is in reference to Thursday Night Football. Uh, Justin Jefferson has now eclipsed. He has now more career receiving yards than any Bears receiver. In the history of the Bears, Justin Jefferson is 24 years old and he's played 52 games. <laughs> oh, the Bears, dude. I'm, I'm sorry, that, but that's a good one. That's a good stat of the week. Uh, stat of the day, excuse me. Uh, all right, so yeah, we start there. Just, uh, Vikings, they look, I mean, the, the Vikings, man. I, I don't know. It's my favorite team. And I hate it. <laughs> I hate it every week. I feel bad for Kirk, to be honest with you, because it feels like he gets a lot of the blame Whereas his defensive, sometimes I think sometimes his defense has let him down and he ends up being the person to blame. And he had a really, really good game against Philadelphia, a very good defense in Philadelphia. And he had a fantastic game against them. Uh, and I think that uh, Kevin O'Connor does a lot of really good scheming for both Justin Jefferson. Now Jordan Addison as well. 
um, to get those guys open in vertical parts of the field. And Kirk Cousins is good enough to recognize that um, uh, and and make, for the most part, some pretty good, accurate throws uh, for both of those guys. And, you know, Justin Jefferson doesn't become the leading receiver of all time for the Bears. You know, again, not a lot to say, but, you know, one of the better, one of the better receivers in um the NFL just this year and this past year um, without Kirk cousins. I don't think, I mean, obviously he'd probably be better with Patrick Mahomes and stuff like that. Obviously you can make that argument, but Kirko Kirko deserves a little bit more of the credit there as well. I think he's been uh, a very good, a very good player and maybe a little bit underrated, especially uh, this. I mean, last week against Philadelphia, it's a primetime game. Everybody's expecting Kirko to not play very good, which is understandable because he hasn't shown up sometimes in those primetime games, but I think he's kind of gotten rid of that stigma a little bit. I think he's played a little bit better in the primetime games and a primetime game against Philadelphia defending Super Bowl uh, runner up NFC champion who is still a very, very daunted, uh, vaunted defense, especially that defensive line and just on the back end as well. Their cornerbacks and safeties are both are, are very solid as well to put up the numbers that he did against that team. I mean, yeah, just, he got the bat end of the stick. That's how it works. Welcome to football. Um, I am officially worried now about two teams in the NFL. Two weeks in, of course, you know, we're going to have our overreactions. That's what we do. It's called sports media, people. All right, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm a little worried already. Number one, the Chargers. Um, I I don't know what to make one of Brandon Staley anymore. Um, I, I thought he was going to be, uh, you know, one season in with Justin Herbert as the quarterback. I thought he was a great pick as a head coach. He was the defensive coordinator for the Rams uh, in, in 2020 before he got hired by the Chargers in 2021. And... I just don't know what to make of them anymore. We're two games in. Obviously, they could turn a lot around, but they're in a very difficult division. The AFC itself is a very difficult conference. Starting 0-2 is a very thing, to, a very difficult thing to dig back from uh, in that division and in that conference. So they worry me. They can't do anything on the ground with Austin Eckler out, and Austin Eckler has been injury prone, and they continue to miss explosive plays from guys on the outside. Uh, Keenan Allen... And Mike Williams are both pretty good receivers. Mike Williams has struggled to stay on uh, the football field with injuries as well as Keenan Allen. They both struggled to stay on the football field with injuries, uh, but they're both good receivers when they are playing, but it feels like they're missing that like real game breaking piece on the outside that they can just throw one up to as the speed demon. He goes and gets it and scores touchdowns. The guy that really keeps cornerbacks in their place uh, and safeties in their place because they know if they uh, get beat one-on-one, -on -one, it's over. You know, it's a touchdown. So the the Chargers are missing that. They don't have the explosive play guy on the outside, it feels like. Um, and, you know, Austin Eckler, when he's out, they really don't have anybody behind Austin Eckler that impresses or can help fill the void where Austin Eckler is missing. Now, nobody in the band that's a backup is going to do that, but at least, you know, a tandem of running backs that can make up a lot of that production will usually be used and they don't have anybody like that. So when Eckler's out, they just lose all of their run game and that versatility that he brings to the outside uh, in terms of, uh, you know, a flat route receiver or a curl route receiver, that sort of thing. So when he's out, they really miss a big piece of their offense, I think. And they just don't have the guys on the outside to make up for it, in my opinion. So uh, that's concerning for one, even though, I mean, they have pieces to make it to uh, at the very least the playoffs. I think they have the pieces to make a, a, a big, a deep run into the, once they're in the playoffs as well. Um, but for whatever reason, when, you know, they go up against a, a team like the char, the, the, the damn Titans, the Titans, they, they just get nullified. It's weird. I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, their defense is also, 
allowed the and this has been a problem this year and i think it's going to continue to be a problem their defense has allowed the highest amount of yards per offensive play their defense their pass defense has uh, the lowest expected points contributed so far this year two games in their rush defense is a little better right in the middle of the pack and expected points added uh but isn't this like this was what brandon staley was brought into he was the defensive guru for the rams in 2020 those rams teams were one uh, i think uh, top in terms of um uh, yard, yard, amount of yards per offensive play and one of the tops in uh, lowest expected po- or highest expected points contributed um, on defense. And that just hasn't happened. Even like over the three years that Brandon Staley's there, that defense seemingly has gotten worse. Um, and they've gone through coordinators, coordinator changes. And I think that the offensive coordinator change to get Kellen Moore in there, I think has looked a little bit better. I think Justin Herbert's getting a little bit more confident down the field. Um, but for whatever reason, the defense just still cannot figure it out. And they have a good defensive line. Joey Bosa on the defensive line, Khalil Mack on the defensive line, guys that should be attacking. And Joey Bosa had a good game this past weekend against against Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. Um, but still, like, you know, he had a couple sacks, I believe, but on the back end, like, they can't slow down. If you can't, if you allow Ryan Tannehill to go 20 for 24, have a CPO of, I think he had a CPO of, like, in the nines or something like that, completion percentage over expected. Like, that's unacceptable. You know, like, that's Ryan Tannehill, the guy that just played the Saints, or the, yeah, the Saints in week one, and I was like, that cannot be the option, that the, the best option that the Titans have. There's no way. Um, and to see what Ryan Tannehill was able to do against that defense of the Chargers, I was like, man, this is more of an issue for the Chargers, I think, than it is, you know, me realizing I was wrong about Ryan Tannehill, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, the Chargers, I'm nervous about. I, I just don't know how much faith I have in Brandon Staley, in this defense in general, which Brandon Staley is supposed to be the defensive guru guy. He was the guy that brought, they brought over as a defensive coordinator who was a defensive coordinator for the Rams. Um, he's supposed to be the defensive guru guy, and it's just not... The defense just hasn't looked better for like year in, year out. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's frustrating because he, he, Brandon Staley reminds me of like, like he has all the weapons there to make the deep playoff run, but he's going to be the coach before the coach that comes in to make the deep playoff run. So like the Mark Jackson to the Steve Kerr, does that make sense? Mark Jackson was the guy that was the head coach of the Warriors. When they had Steph Curry, they draft Steph Curry. And then he gets let go. He gets fired. And then after that, they bring in Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr goes on this insane run where he's run what four championships or whatever with the, with the, a similar, a similar base, essentially Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. He didn't, Mark Jackson didn't have all of those players, but the, the foundation was beginning to be built by Mark Jackson. And then they fired Mark Jackson, brought on Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr goes on, you know, one of the great coaching runs of all time with four championships over the last seven or eight years or whatever it's been. Um, and it feels like Brandon Staley is going to be, end up being that guy, the guy that they just let go. And then they bring somebody in and then it all, finally glues together and they make it work. So we'll see with Brandon Staley. I'm just, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about, uh, about the, the, the chargers right now. Uh, the Bengals, the Bengals I'm nervous about too. Uh, I think Joe Burrow, one thing, uh, that I think is kind of getting pushed to the side a little bit. I think the Joe Burrow injury, his calf injury is probably acting up a little more than he wants to admit. I think that's bothering him more than he is willing to let on. And I think that is, uh, causing more issues than he's willing to admit their offense throughout the past two years or basically since they got Jamar chase and 
Um, Joe Burrow has relied heavily on a vertical passing game. Um, you know, the one-on-ones with Jamar Chase down the sideline, Jamar uh, and, and Joe Burrow just kind of throws it up and and uh, says, hey, Jamar, go catch this, please. And Jamar will bring it down for big gains. Uh, they have not been able to do that this year so far, though. They're only averaging an ADON average up the target of 6.1 yards per game and a league worst of 2.7 yards before catch, uh, uh, before catch per reception. So Joe Burrow has also had the sixth highest bad throw percentage and the sixth worst on target percentage. So it's been kind of a mess for Joe Burrow. And I'm a little bit nervous about that because whenever I see Zach Taylor, I don't see a guy that is very good at scheming guys open. That's why I think the vertical passing game has really helped out that team a lot and made them look um, not better than they are, but maybe has worked out for them a lot better than I think it would work out for a lot of other teams because they've got one of the great one-on-one players in the league uh, and one of the most accurate quarterbacks when he's healthy in the league in, in, um, in Joe Burrow. So uh, if people start to, if teams start to figure that out, you know, play the two high safeties, really take away that vertical passing game. We'll see what they're able to do. And if Zach Taylor is unable to really scheme guys like Jamar Chase more open, then this could end up being a problem throughout the rest of the season. And they could have uh, a disappointing year on their hands, but we'll see. Like I said, I think the Joe, I think Joe Burrow's calf uh, calf injury is probably lingering a little bit more than he's willing to admit. And that could be a, a root of the problem for him having the sixth highest bad throw percentage and the sixth worst on target percentage as well. So, We'll see with the Bengals. That one's a little bit, you know, I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, obviously, because they've had, you know, a back-to-back AFC champion uh, championship appearances, one AFC championship win where they went into the Super Bowl. So I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit and see how, where they end up over the next few, uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but those are two teams a little nervous about, a little nervous about that. I didn't think I was going to be nervous about. I thought the chargers were going to turn it around. I thought this was going to be the season. I thought we were going to finally see, you know, Eckler healthy for 15 games, you know, uh, Keenan Allen healthy, Mike Williams healthy. Um, and Justin Herbert finally have all the weapons that he needed to make a run. And, uh, here we are. It's just still, still an issue and it's frustrating. Um, all right, moving on Zay flowers. Uh, I wanted to talk about, since we were talking about the Bengals, they were playing the Ravens. Uh, Zay Flowers is going to work wonders. I like this Ravens team. I think is going to be a very good team this year, uh, more so than the past few years. I think that t- Zay Flowers is going to be one of the bigger uh, grabs in the NFL draft that we see this year. I think he's going to work wonders for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Uh, they've been in the position that they have that that's been the position that they've really missed out on. That they've been missing for a long time is this kind of game breaking speed guy. They have it in Devin Duvernay a little bit, but I think Zay Flowers just overall as a receiver is a better player. They can kind of stick him in a bunch of different situations that work more than what they have with Devin Duvernay. Uh, they've had Mark Andrews has been a top three tight end in the league since he came into the league with Lamar Jackson and uh, he's worked out really well for the Ravens, but they've never really had the you know, sprint down the field, the explosive playability, similar to the chargers. They've never really had the explosive playability outside at receiver that they've really been missing out on that Lamar Jackson can just toss it down to and for explosive plays and big gains. Um, and I think Zay flowers is going to going to be that guy. And I'm excited to see the Ravens this year. They did just lose JK Dobbins. That was a tough injury, but honestly, I think with that run game, what, what sort of running scheme that they have, in uh, Baltimore, I think you can plug a lot of different guys into that scheme and it's going to work out pretty well um, because with Lamar Jackson, there are so many different areas that you have to be able to cover in terms of run game because he's an, an option quarterback. He can run for a long, uh, a very long play. He's got the moves of a running back as well. Um, so there's a lot of different things that you have to cover and it's hard for defenses to cover you know, that area of the field as well as his uh, his arm, which has gotten better basically every season. 
So um, Zay Flowers, I think, is going to be a great addition to that team, and I think uh, Ravens can make a, a very good push for the AFC North um, this season uh, with with the receivers that they have on the outside. And if Lamar Jackson can come back to you know somewhat similar MVP form, uh, unlike he did, you know, didn't play as well last year, but if he comes back to where he did twenty twenty one, then all bets are off. I think um, I made a couple first half observations as well as in first half of a couple of games. Um, first one, which I thought was very funny. I ty- I wrote it down. I-, I typed it into my notes app on my phone and I was like, well, this isn't going to need to change at all. Um, and I said, I am very excited to see Brian Dayball, a Brian Dayball offense, the giants head coach, a Brian Dayball offense with Caleb Williams as the quarterback. I thought after that first half, I was like, wow, giants might be the worst team in this, in the entire league, which is insane because they shouldn't regress that much. I thought they would regress a little bit, but worst team in the league is insane. Uh, and then they come back. Obviously Daniel Jones has essentially the game of his life. They end up winning. What was the final score? 35, 31 or something like that. 31, 28, actually 31, 28. Uh, and you know, the Cardinals Cardinals, a masterful tanking job, a masterful tanking job. That was unbelievable. Like the GM, a hundred, not hundred percent. I'm making a joke, but he came downstairs. He handed the, I can't remember the name of the head coach. He was the former DC for uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, but he's the head coach of the, the Cardinals. Now he came downstairs. The GM came downstairs, handed him a note. And it's like the note from, um, uh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, the Kevin Costner movie draft day. It's like the note from draft day and it says Caleb Williams, no matter what. <laughs> and then they go on second half and they just blow it. Like it was a masterful taking job. Cardinals. They're like, we can beat you, but we're not gonna because we see the bigger picture here. So shout out to the Cardinals. That was funny, but it would be cool to see a Brian Dable offense with Caleb Williams. That would be a very fun offense to watch. Uh, slot him in there over Daniel Jones. They're paying Daniel Jones a lot of money to be a, a backup quarterback, but you know, Caleb Williams is the guy. So that was a first half observation that uh, didn't pan out. And I also typed in um, into my notes app for first half observations. <laughs> this all capitals, this as in T H I S this, and this is that that's all caps. This is the Russell Wilson. The Bronx Broncos have been looking for that didn't turn out. Uh, that didn't turn out very correct. He was very good in the first half though. He was fantastic. He looked like the old Russell Wilson in the first half. I was like, wow, he's here. He finally, like, this is the guy that they traded for that. This is the guy that they traded a first round pick to get Sean Payton to coach up, to build an offense around. Like, this is it. We finally have seen it. Uh, and to back that up six for eight, he only had to throw the ball eight times, which is pretty incredible for a first half six for eight, 154 yards, uh, four first downs, two touchdowns, 19.3 yards gained per attempt. That was just in the first half. And then for whatever reason, he sat down for 15 minutes at halftime and it kind of all changed. Second half, 12 for 24, 50% completion percentage, 154 yards, the same amount of yards, but 12 for 24, half as efficient. Uh, one touchdown, four first downs, one interception, got sacked five times, 6.4 yards gained per pass attempt. Uh, so we got one half of... Broncos of Russell Wilson of old. We were like that. It felt like he was back. I felt like Russell Wilson had finally found his stride. They found the offense that they wanted to work with him in. And then the commanders just completely shut him down. Um, 50% completion percentage in the second half, the same amount of yardage, but in 24 attempts instead of eight, uh, same amount of first downs instead, but in 24 attempts instead of eight, uh, and the same amount of touchdowns, but in 24 attempts instead of eight. So, not great. That was not a great first half observation. You know, you can't, you can't type any observation. This is what I've learned. You can't type any observations down until the fat lady sings, right? That's how it works. Um, but yeah, Russell Wilson, 
I just don't know, like, if it's there. It's there. You can see it. Like, I can see it. I see that first half, I was like, oh, my God, he's back. He's throwing these deep balls, these beautiful deep balls down the field to Marvin Mims that are going for gigantic gains, touchdowns, and I was like, this is it. Finally, we found the Russell Wilson. They found the Russell Wilson that they paid the draft picks to go and get. And then in the second half, whatever happens, it's like the scene from, it's like the scene from space gym when they, when the, the, the monsters take the, the talent away or whatever, the ability away from all the best basketball players. That's what happened at halftime. Like it just disappears. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It's, it's frustrating because it's like Russell, like you were this guy. Why aren't you this guy anymore? Like what happened? We just saw it in the first half. What happened in the second half? Uh, it's frustrating, man. It's frustrating. And I'm not even a Broncos fan. I'm just like, man, they traded like they, this is going to affect a long like if they never figure out Russell Wilson, if Russell Wilson just continues to play relatively mediocre, like he has a couple. He's very cousins now is what I'll say. Uh, he has a couple mediocre games here and there, and then he has one pretty solid game, a couple other mediocre games here and there. Um, then I mean, the price they paid for him is not anywhere near worth it. And then to try and go get Sean Payton. And if this still doesn't work with Sean Payton, you paid a first round draft pick for that as well. Like that's all going to start stacking up and it's going to affect the way the Broncos look here in the next few years. So it's just, and the other one too, like outside of Russell Wilson, the other one being Deshaun Watson, which he looks, he's into Zach Wilson territory. When you look at his EPA over CPA, uh, over his uh, completion percentage over expected, like he's one of the worst um, quarterbacks in the league uh, with the EPA over uh, plus CPO. I can't remember that exact equation. Expected points added and uh, completion percentage over expected. He's been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. That that contract for the Browns looks terrible. More and more terrible by the day. Like that uh, the, that Steelers team is a decent defense. Like they have a pretty solid defense, especially on the defensive line. Uh, but he, I mean, Deshaun Watson has just, which I'll be honest with you, I'm it's karma. It's very like, it's very good karma. I appreciate that karma works in mysterious ways. I do want justice for the women that were involved, obviously, but uh, the karma works in mysterious ways. He is going to make an ungodly amount of money, which is unfortunate. Uh, he's got a cap hit over the next four years of $63,977,000 over 2024-2025-2026. And that's what he looks like, like that game against the Steelers. And he wasn't very good against, I'll be honest, he wasn't great against the Bengals either. He's got the lowest on-target percentage of any quarterback in the NFL right now, and um, he just he doesn't look good. He does not look. He hasn't looked good for essentially nine games now. I think is what he's played, and um, if that doesn't change very quickly, this court this this contract that they signed him to is going to look real, 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 real bad um, over the next few years. Like I said, sixty-three million guaranteed. That's guaranteed, by the way. That's a cap hit, so that's a guaranteed money. Sixty-three million. $977,000 per year for the next three years, 2024 to 2026. This year, it's only a $19 million cap hit. He's got a $1 million base salary. And the, the rest of the five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed contract doesn't kick in until 2024, all the way till 2026. Um, and there's some other restructuring stuff that happens in 2027 as well. But he comes a, pre, a free agent in 2027. Uh, and that deal just looks like a complete disaster right now um given what we've seen on the field over the past seven games dating back to last year and then into this year uh that it that's a the browns are going to be wishing they had never done that and you know what sweet karma i i i love it i love it i want justice for the women like the women deserve justice but karma works in mysterious ways and if this is how it works you know it's not uh it's not justice but 
you know, every time I see him throw a bad pass or get sacked or whatever, throw an interception, I, I put up a quick, I put up a nice little smile. I put up a nice little smile. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Let's go. I, uh, let's uh, more of that, please. Thank you. Uh, all right, moving on here. Finally, we're going to conclude dolphins, probably the best team in the AFC so far from what we've seen. Uh, they get gashed a little bit in the run, uh, over the, fa- the past two games. um, and I thought this Bill Belichick, or this uh, Patriots game was going to be a little bit more difficult for Tua. He wasn't as explosive, obviously, as he was. And they kind of were able to eliminate Tyreek as much as you can eliminate Tyreek off of the field. Um, but I thought it was going to be a lot more difficult than it was for Tua. And, it's, it, and it, sh- it shows that he's really improved in a lot of his game uh, from this game. Because, you know, Belichick being the mastermind that he is. Uh, can really hinder quarterbacks uh, like he Belichick has a really a profound way of showing you, Hey, this quarterback isn't as good as you think he is because I can scheme as well as anybody on defense against him. And it shows a lot of growth in my opinion for Tua that he was able to really put together a decent game against this Bill Belichick coach defense, which the Patriots, I mean, they're not a terrible team. Their offense is a kind of a joke at this point. Mac Jones, I don't think is the guy, um, but their defense year in year out as it has been for Bill Belichick coached Patriots teams is a very good defense. Like I think that defense is going to be very good throughout the rest of the season. It's going to be one of the better defenses on the football field, but they're probably going to go seven and nine or seven and 10 or something like that because their offense just can't cut it. Like they just don't have a good enough offense. Um, but the dolphins, man, what they do with Tyree kill, like next time you're watching next time football is on. So Sunday or whatever, whenever the, the dolphins play again, uh, watch what they do with Tyreek Hill in motion, pre-snap motion, because it is so cool. They're basically giving like whenever Tyreek is on the hill, almost on the hill, on the, on the field, uh, they give him, a running start, and that is essentially an impossible task for anybody in the in the game of football to try to cover Tyreek Hill with a running start. And they put him in open space, and they just allow Tyreek Hill to do Tyreek Hill things. They do the same thing with Jalen Waddle as well. They put him in a lot of pre-snap motion as well. I think last year they led the league in pre-snap motion overall, and that's when they had Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, I love what they do, uh, and Mike McDaniel does with Tyreek Hill in pre-snap motion because it's like, you know, you have one arguably the fastest guy that we've ever seen play this game as your wide receiver, giving him a running start is basically cheating. And uh, that's what they're doing. They're putting him in a running start and essentially just saying hike when he's at full speed. And then he runs a wheel route or some other route that gets him wide open because no other cornerback or safety can cover him or God forbid a linebacker can cover him. And they put him in open space and Tua just has to find him basically all game. And that's how they win. And then, you know, if Tyree kill is basically double, double covered. Um, and then they'll just throw Jalen Waddle in the same thing. Who's also incredibly fast. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome to see so much fun to watch this offense team play, especially this offense, because they do so many cool things with pre-snap uh, and a lot of their motion uh, and, and such that really clear out lanes also in the middle of the field to get Raheem Mostert open um, in, in some zone schemes by the left tackles or by the tackle positions and uh, outside as well that clear out a lot of openings and allow him to get open for um, some big gained runs as well. So it's a fun team. They're a blast to watch because of um, how much speed they have on the field, especially on offense, how much speed they have on the field that allows those guys to basically work at the 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 most effective way that they know how, which is be faster than everybody. They, you know, Tyreek Hill is a really good route runner as well, um, but his best ability is his speed, and I think the Dolphins utilize it in an incredibly fun way. So next time you're watching foot, next time you're watching the Dolphins play, I don't remember what their schedule is like, um, but the next time they're playing, watch Tyreek Hill because he it feels like he has pre snap motion essentially every play and that's how they basically run him open because 
no cornerback is going to be able to cover a sprinting Tyreek Hill out of the line of scrimmage. There's no way. They turned him into a Canadian football player. Or, no, not Canadian. Is it Canadian? Where you can have a guy basically sprint to the line of scrimmage. It's, I think it is Canadian. I think you can do that in Canadian football. Which, that's a cool role, by the way. I wish we had, uh, I wish more, I, I wish the NFL would do that. Where you can have, basically, a guy start behind the quarterback and sprint to the line of scrimmage. And then, that's when the play starts. Like, that's a cool, uh. That's a cool little uh, a cool little change of the rules that I'd like to see more of in the NFL, to be honest with you. Um, all right. Anyways. Anyways. That, ladies and gentlemen, I believe is going to wrap up the show. I want to thank you all very much for tuning in. Please uh, remember to find this podcast wherever you're listening to uh, on all the other podcasting platforms as well. The Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast is the title. Uh, find it wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a rating if you don't mind. Uh, follow the show as well. We post it every Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday evening, I guess is probably a better term. Tuesday evening. Uh, appreciate you all for tuning in. We'll be back next week for more Week 3 in the NFL. Week 4 in college football. It's going to be a big college football weekend uh, and uh, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a blast. I'll see you next week. I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.